It is such a privilege to be able to talk about Jesus and be able to talk about Jesus on today of all days. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's, it's just so good. The story is so good. On Good Friday, we talked about, um, told, talked through the story and, and really told a superhero story about um, someone who came to save the world and sacrificed themselves to do it. And, and in that story, we, we, we started with Mark 10, where Jesus prophesies his, his coming trial. And he talks about how he'll be taken, when they go up to Jerusalem, he'll be taken by the uh, chief priests and that he'll be condemned to death and then he'll be handed over to the Gentiles who will uh, mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And then he says at the end, and he will rise again after three days. And I, and I talked about, I, I, one of the things I've been really digging into the Gospels for is, is just what it was like for the disciples. And, you know, they had imagined a political revolution that Jesus was going to come and throw out the Romans. And, uh, and they, they were imagining, imagining a rebellion. That was what the Messiah, that was the, the dominant theme, the dominant meme for, for Jesus was that, or for the, for the Messiah was that he was going to come and throw out the pagans. And they, they went up to Jerusalem with this band of merry men and women and uh, in high hopes because they had this Messiah who had calmed storms and raised the dead and fed thousands and sure there may only have been a hundred or a couple of hundred of them but if he can multiply bread he can multiply swords I guess Um, and then he's handed over and he preaches in the temple and then he's handed over and and they watch him this man who had done so much and they watch him get beaten and spat on and mocked and flogged and crucified and die and and it must have seemed like the end right to just borrow from the kids video that the end the death of their hope they had this hope that this was going to be it and there it is dying on a cross and so we pick up the story three days later and he is risen oh is he risen oh my goodness so so in John I, I, I love of all the gospels John is my favorite I just I just love it it really I mean they're all good but I just something about John that just always just resonates with me in a way that I can't explain and so I'm not going to read all of this but I just want to quickly summarize John 20 and 21 so so what happens, right, on the, on the morning of the third day, Mary and Mary and Mary um, uh, come early in the morning. And as a part of the, 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 the burial tradition, they would anoint the body with um, uh, perfume and spices and things. Uh, and so they come, and they come up to this place, and they see that the stone has been rolled away, right? This is a massive stone, right? It required lots of people to pull it into place. And they see that it's been rolled away. And so as we see the story here, we see that they've come, and then they see that the, the, the stone has been rolled away, and they run back to get the disciples. And then Peter and John 
race out to see this because they're like, oh my goodness, what's happened? Someone nicked his body. I mean, who knows what they're thinking, right? They run out and they go and look in the tomb and they see the grave clothes there. And the, and the woman came back with them. And then John and Peter and the other disciples start to head back. And Mary and the other woman look into the tomb and see the angels there. And just a little side note here, when I look through the Gospels, the only people the angel, at this point, the angels appear to the woman, not to the men, which is just cool. Uh, and, and, then, and, so the, and the angels say, he's risen. What are you doing looking in here for him? He's not here. Not quite like that, but, you know, um, probably more angelically. And so they, 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 they go to kind of go back out, going, well, what does that mean? I can just imagine the confusion, right? The body's not there, and what is, what is this angels saying he's risen? What's going on here? And they turn around, and this gardener comes up, and they say, have you taken his body? And then he speaks, and they realize that it's him. I cannot, I just cannot fathom the, the contrast in that moment for those women, right? They had watched him, right? If you read the Gospel of John, they stood by and watched as he was crucified. Right? They stayed. Many of the disciples took off, but they stayed and watched. They saw him die. They saw him get taken down off that cross and put in the tomb. And there he is right in front of them. I mean, can you, can you imagine that the, the, from moment to moment, right, that there's this, this kind of gnawing despair that all your hope has been crushed and suddenly, like a bright dawn, bang, there it is. There he is. It's amazing. And so he appears first to these women. And they go back and tell the others and, you know, and there's this thing going on. And then... Then he, he appears to the disciples. So, so the disciples are, uh, are hiding, hiding out, right, because they're afraid of being um, taken. And, and So the, the leader of the rebellion has been killed, and, the, and if you're the evil empire, what do you do next? You kill the lieutenants, right? You kill the people who, who might replace the leader. So I imagine they're hiding, right? And they're, they're hidden out. They've locked the door. Bang, Jesus appears, right? And this is no ghost, I want to be really clear about this, that Jesus is physically resurrected. There is a, a, a great picture here. I've cut off most of it. So there's this, there's this thing where Jesus appears in the room, right? And so I, I'm just going to get a little bit of a sidetrack here. I've been thinking about what the new heaven and the new earth might look like. And clearly, Jesus can teleport. I'm looking forward to being able to teleport. That's going to be awesome. Because also, Philip does, right? It's not just Jesus. Philip goes, right? And the Holy Spirit, boom. It's just cool. I want me some of that action. Um, so, so Jesus appears and the disciples are like, oh my goodness. I can just see them turning to Mary and then going, you were right. <laughs> and he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Jesus was crucified for blasphemy. And one of the things that he was accused of was forgiving people's sins. Because only God can forgive sins. And yet he breathes on them and gives them the Holy Spirit. 
and gives them the power to forgive sin. I mean, this is, this is earth-shatteringly, would be mind-blowing for the disciples. And, and, and you can see how this is tipping everything on its head for them. And then he, and, but Thomas isn't there, right? That's Thomas with the finger there. Uh, Thomas isn't there when this happens, and he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, right. You know, classic Kiwi thing, yeah, right. People don't raise from the dead. Come on, guys. There's this, there's this idea now that, that people read back into history that somehow ancient people were naive and thought that people, the dead rose all the time. There is no evidence of that at all in ancient literature. They knew just as well as us, perhaps more clearly than us, that death was a constant companion. And people didn't come back from it. So Thomas's view here is, is kind of understandable. It's like, what? He's risen? Yeah. I, nah. Nah. I need to see him. I need to touch him. I want to stick my hands in the wounds. And so, boom, again through another locked door, Jesus appears. And Thomas, uh, Thomas's response, my Lord and my God. So Thomas has gone from someone who had believed that Jesus was going to lead the rebellion against the Romans, as opposed to the rebellion and the war against sin and death, to someone who had heard the story about how he had, how he had risen and didn't believe it, and in a moment it all clicks and falls into place for him. And he suddenly sees that if, if Jesus is alive and standing right in front of him and he can poke him, then Jesus has truly been resurrected. And that must mean that he is Lord of everything and God. And so he just, it just boom, my Lord, my God. Again, going from this place of despair and, and, and crushed hope to this, this profound new hope. And we see in the second part, in 21, so the disciples still don't quite know what to do, so they go fishing. I mean, because that's what you do when you don't know what to do, I guess. I mean, they were fishermen, so it kind of makes sense. You know, yeah, we, well, we're no longer leading the new rebellion. Jesus is raised, but we don't quite know what to do with that. But, um, well, I guess we'll go back to old jobs. Um, and so they're out there fishing, and then uh, they're not catching much fish. And Jesus is on the beach and says, hey, put your net over the other side, and they catch lots of fish, just like he had done before. They realise it's him. Peter, being Peter, jumps overboard and swims ashore, and the others follow in a boat, and they have breakfast together. So I highlight this because I really want to highlight that Jesus is physically raised from the dead. He is different. He is in a transfigured, a transformed body. But he is still physically raised from the dead. This is no spiritual thing going on here. This is, he is walking around eating fish. And I think it's, really, it's very easy to lose sight of that and kind of spiritualize it. But actually, our hope is in his physical resurrection. Because he went to that cross, right? He went to that cross and he died. And he died and his battle, he knew his battle wasn't against the Romans. His battle was against death itself. Against the, 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 the death that had been brought in through the sin of Adam. 
And so he knew he was going to fight that battle. And if you fight a battle with death and you stay dead, have you won? No. No, no, no. You have to overcome death. You have to overcome death. And he did. And, and I think that when we then look at the story, right? So, so this, this is a singular event in history. The first one, Good Friday's talk, are called the shadow of the cross because the cross... That moment of sacrifice casts its shadow across all of history. Everything that had gone before and everything that has come after and will come. That that sacrifice is once and for all. There's no need for any reason. No one needs to do it again. It is done. As as Jesus says in John's Gospel, it is finished. But this is the light of the resurrection because actually when we see history through the light of the resurrection, it changes everything. It changes our understanding of everything. This singular event. And it changed everything for the disciples. So here we have 12 guys and their followers. I mean, it wasn't just them. That, that, um, but, we, but we think about the disciples who had been, before Jesus died, they'd been fighting with each other about who was going to be top dog in his new you know, his cabinet, when he, when, he, when he set himself up as king over Israel. They've gone from that to running away because the chief priest's soldiers came. They've gone from, from being stupidly hopeful, basically, to in complete despair, to then seeing Jesus resurrected and their hope being transformed into something that is like gold. And then if you look at their lives and you track their lives, they are completely changed by this event. They, and, and they see scripture, the Jewish scriptures, through the light of this event. They see their work in the world through the light of this event. And they see their hope in God through the light of this event. It's so profound, it changes everything. So much so that they all died for it. They were all killed for their faith. And the first martyr wasn't a disciple, Stephen, but he believed this and he was stoned to death. In Acts 8, I think it is, we see that. He, he was stoned to death for blasphemy. So these people who were afraid of dying and fled now go to their deaths for this belief. Something in them has really changed. And when you think the power of the tyrant is death, so the the comment that, that Thomas makes, Jesus, my Lord and my God, And then you see later in in the letters they talk about if you proclaim with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in his heart that he was resurrected and you proclaim with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you're saved. So last, on Friday, I bagged the disciples for thinking Jesus was the political Messiah. But he is political. Because the thing that people said in, in, in the empire of Rome at the time was Caesar is Lord. And they would proclaim his lordship and his divinity. And so the Christians set themselves up to go, no, 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 you're just a guy. 
Jesus is Lord and he rules over all of creation and you can do your worst to me but what I get with him and what he has promised me is far greater than what anything you could ever do so I want to so these disciples are transformed by this and I want to look at one of them in particular the words of one of them in particular Paul who uh, actually came he was a persecutor he persecuted the church and then he meets the risen Jesus and goes oh my goodness I was wrong Okay, right? And he, he, again, completely transformed. Completely transformed by this, this knowledge of the risen Jesus, the risen Lord. So I want to, if you jump with me to 1 Corinthians 1.15. There's a section here where, where Paul really unpacks the resurrection. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm probably going to read most of it. So... That bit, that bit there is from it too, to be fair. Um, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So what is the word he has preached to them? So we're going to get to that. For what I have received I passed on to you of the, as, as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he ra- was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So the first thing that's going on here is Paul is saying, I preached this to you, and you believed it. And this is the stand that you have taken, that Jesus died and was raised to life on the third day. And by the way, if you don't believe me, there's just under 500 people hanging around. Go and ask them. His appeal is to the eyewitnesses, as he also claims to be an eyewitness. So he's not going, this is not something, so someone could easily go and verify this. Well, relatively easily. Corinth isn't exactly close to Jerusalem. But if they wanted to, they could go to Jerusalem and ask those people. Say, hey, did you see him? And they'd go, yes. Yes, we did. So then if we skip forward a little bit to verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how come some of you can say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been saved. And if Christ has not been saved, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we have been found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he, was, he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If, if, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are, we are of a people, we are all, we are, sorry, we are of all people most to be pitied. So what Jesus is, what, sorry, what Paul is saying here is that some of the Corinthians, right, this, so 
the idea of resurrection and people being raised to life still didn't really land well with people. It still doesn't land well with people today. But if it's not true, so if the, if the dead, so we can say Jesus was raised to life in some form, right? Maybe some kind of weirdly spiritual form, which would mean he hadn't actually overcome death. He had just kind of bypassed it. We can, but if we can say that, but say, oh, but the dead aren't raised, then what Paul is saying, you can't say that. If Jesus is raised, it means we will be raised from the dead. The dead, there will be a resurrection of all. And so he goes on, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the... Oh, I don't need to add to it. It's all in here. Sorry. Just, I'll just keep going. <laughs> For since death came through a man, the resurrection of, of the dead comes through a man. Also, comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. And then he goes in to say that he's putting everything under Christ, that God has put everything under Christ's feet. The, and it, it, in verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Then if we jump ahead to verse 35. So then people are going, there's, there's all these questions and you see some of this in the writings of the early church fathers and others all throughout history. So, I mean, the, the classic one, if a cannibal ate a Christian and then they both died, whose flesh would they be raised in was a question that was asked of one of the, the, the um, early um, fathers, the early church fathers. Uh, <laughs> so there are people, people, people go, okay, right, it happens. How? Right? How, how does this work? And so Paul gives us quite a good exposition of this, right? But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will... Um, with what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that, that will be, but just the seed, perhaps, a, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and each kind of, of seed, he gives it its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals another, birds another, and fish another. And there are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, and the splendor of, but the he, splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor and the moon another, and the stars another, and, the, and, and star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that, that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown with dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. You know, you, 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 you plant a, we, avocados, right? We've, we've got a, the, the makings of an avocado tree in a pot. Managed to get an avocado stone, quite big, right? Got it planted and it's growing. The tree doesn't look anything like the avocado seed, does it? But it is, continu it, is a, it is continuously one thing, an avocado plant. If we jump ahead a bit further to verse 30, 53. 
For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with, the, with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then, we are, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God that he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So I would encourage you to read and reread that. The resurrection is critical to our Christian hope. And when you look forward into the... Um, into revelation and the new heaven and the new earth and the resurrection of the dead that's coming then, then we see that there is this, this place we can anchor our hope that is far greater than whatever trial, whatever, whatever thing could be going on in our life right now. What does Jesus' resurrection mean for us? It means that the empire of death has been overcome. Way back at the beginning, Adam rebelled against God and death entered into the world and we have been laboring under that mortality but when we receive our resurrected bodies as we are the seed there will be the tree that resurrected body will be imperishable it will be given the gift of eternal life from God God is the only one who's actually eternally unchanging and imperishable by nature but he will give us that gift, and we will reign with him in the new heaven and the new earth, and we will, we will, we will build upon his creation. We will be in this place where we are partnering in, 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 in with each other and with God in the new heaven and the new earth. And that will be a place where he has dealt with all evil and all sin. And oh my goodness, I mean, I, I, I could go on actually. It's funny, I was talking with someone who, uh, so a lot of the analogies in the, in, the, in the Bible about the new heaven and the new earth are based in their cultural time, right? I mean, Paul's thing here about seeds, right? People he's talking to, many of them, they all know what farming looks like, right? Even if they're not farmers. They know what that looks like. I like sci-fi, right? And so... <laughs> So I, I start imagining, you know, and I'm not saying that it's going to be like this, but I start imagining what that new heaven and the new earth would look like. And what does it look like when the things, so we labor under a curse, right? So there's, the, there's death, and then there's this curse on work, and this curse on the land, so that we toil. I've got a job, right? Sometimes I love my job, sometimes I hate my job, sometimes I'm indifferent to it. Um, but it's, it's hard work. And sometimes it's needlessly hard work. I just look at what's going on. I'm like, oh, why? Why is it so hard? Why do I need five signatures to sign off, to get someone to sign off this thing, right? Because it's got to go all the way up and come all the way back down through the organization. And, and I have these thoughts. But in that new heaven and new earth, I'm going to work. But I won't be laboring under a curse. Work itself will be redeemed. And I'm quite looking forward to that. It's going to be cool, right? And rest will be redeemed. And we'll be in the presence of the Lord all the time. And I was talking, we were talking with um, 
a, a friend and she was saying that she's got a kind of economics brain. And so we were talking about this. And I said, well, what will economics look like in the new heaven and the new earth? What, what will it be like? And she was sort of thinking about that. And I said, well, the, the thing that comes to mind for me is that right now our whole economic systems are built on scarcity. We have an economics of scarcity. How do we get and hold resources? But if you look at God, right, and he has a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. Right? His is a kingdom of abundance. So what do the economics of abundance look like? I don't know. It's just a great idea, right? Who knows, right? I like thinking about it. It's just, it's cool. So, but we have this, and, and that gives me hope today. And, and I can be a part of calling that future forward today. We have a hope that transcends all the evil of the world. If we can anchor ourselves in that hope, that hope that, that Paul talks about here, we, nothing in the world can overcome that. Because Jesus is the first fruits of it. He's proven to us that this is what will happen. So, a little bit of a... A few weeks ago, I uh, did a thing with hands about you know, the gospel with four hand gestures. I did it with circles now. So there's God's space. Right? God, God, before anything, God was there and, and was living in, in, in the kind of holy community of God, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And out of the over, the outpouring of the love from that community, God created a creation space and planted us, along with many other things, in that space. And we rebelled against God. And so God's space and creation space were pulled apart because God's space is holy and it cannot be in the same place as our sin. And so we have this time through, all, through the Jewish scriptures, right, the, the early part of the Bible, where we see the separation. And there are moments where God breaks in, theophanies they call them, uh, or, or, or epiphanies, but mostly it's separate. Then, wonder of wonders, through the work of Jesus, I, I, I almost imagine, I, I've just been thinking about this, it's like that, that through the work of the cross, Jesus nailed God's space back to creation space and made a way for it to break in and created a people, a new temple, a.k.a. you guys and, and me, who can be vehicles for that breaking in, who can go out into the world in the hope that there is nothing the world can throw at us that is bigger than Jesus. Right? Greater is me, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. There is nothing that the world can throw at us that is bigger than Jesus. We can go out and we can be carriers of that hope. I mean, I, I look at the world today. We have a terrible youth suicide rate in New Zealand. It's awful. We have some of the highest incidences of family and domestic violence in the Western world. And, and those are just two things. But we can go and carry hope and love and peace to people. And that's where that's, he wants. That's, he is the head of the church and we're his, we're his hands and feet. We can go in resurrection power and resurrection hope 
to people and give freely to them. Because actually, his kingdom is full of abundance, right? There is more than enough love for everybody and grace and peace and mercy and compassion. We can, we can become the, the lightning rods of that future kingdom and that future new heaven and new earth now. Right? We can be the place where it breaks in. And that's what he, that's what he calls us to, to the renewing of the earth. We don't build the kingdom. Jesus, only Jesus builds the kingdom. But we can build for the kingdom. We can build in the kingdom now. And then one day, it will be brought back together. And a time when he will come, and I mean, I don't, just don't have time to go into this, but he will come as a judge. Right? The second coming, he comes as a judge. He will be present here physically. All will be able to see him. And he will come as a judge. And I, you know, there's all sorts of stuff about what that might mean. And I, like I say, I don't really have time to go into it. But he will come again and he will renew the heavens and the earth. And we will live in that point. And that is when the second resurrection happens. And it could be today. Or it could be in a thousand years. It's a, that's one of the real tough things about living in this truth, right? How do I live in it today? Because it could be today. And actually, to be fair, I could have my own personal apocalypse if I go in front of the wrong bus and get run over, right? So I need to be ready. I need to be ready. But he could, t- he could, he could be, boom, right there now. But at the same time, he could come at some point in the future. So how do I live in days and years, not weeks and months? That's our calling as Christian. Live in days and years, not weeks and months. How do we live today for that future and build into that future without worrying too much about what will happen next? And, and it, Boy, it's easy to say that. It's very hard to do. You know, I'm, I'm, I mean, my, my strengths in work are strategy and planning, right, which is about thinking in weeks and months. Right? I'm like, oh, come on. Whew. Okay, but hey, yeah, but it, 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 he is good, and he is with us. He is with you, whatever you're going through, and his power and his presence and his peace are there for you, whatever you're going through. And he has a place for you in that new heaven and new earth specifically made for you we are all different and he has made you to be you he has given you the skills and the, and the talents and the gifts and the experiences that you have to be activated now for his kingdom and to be fully realized in that place when that comes and man that sounds awesome you know, there's this thing about the, the, when I think about um, the hope of the future. There's a part of me that kind of I look at each of you, and I kind of go, I wonder what they will be like in that new kingdom. What, what, what will what will we see fully then that we might only see in part now, because we are still living in this broken age, and it's just oh my goodness, it's so cool. 
So, what does it mean for us today? Your labour is not in vain. I'm going to finish with a little story I heard a long time ago. And then I'd like us actually to pray and seek God together. Um, but I heard this story at a conference, uh, must, have been, must be, I don't know, 20 years ago. And there's a story about this sailor, this English sailor, uh, merchant seaman. And he, you know, sails around the world on his boat, um, you know, along with the rest of the crew. And they, you know, delivering cargo or whatever they're doing. And he goes into Sydney. And he goes to do what sailors do when they get into port, right, which is generally... Um, yeah, <laughs> we'll leave it there. Uh, leave it, leave it, leave it to your imaginations. Uh, um, and he's walking up George Street apparently, and he walks up George Street, and as he's walking up George Street, this guy, a little guy, he says the, the way the story is told, this little guy steps out in front of him, hands him a tract, and says, "Jesus Christ died for your sins. Will you serve him now?" And then he walks past, or he just kind of ignores the guy, grabs the tract walks past and gets a couple of feet down the road and is just struck by this. So like, oh my goodness. Turns around and the guy's gone. And he goes back to the ship. Goes, I don't know what to do about this. He goes and finds a pastor, gives his life to the Lord. Uh, he then goes, he stays working at sea. He, he uh, creates the um, Christian Mariners Guild, I think it is, or something like that. Um, works and works and then about 30 years later, he thinks, I've got to find this guy. I've got to tell him. So he goes back to Sydney and spends quite a while there going to the different churches and going, hey, was there a guy that used to just go onto George Street and give people stuff? And tracks this guy down who's now retired, maybe in his 70s or 80s or whatever, and says thank you to him. I just want to say thank you. A long time ago, you, you, you know, you, I walked past you, you handed me a tract, and you, you gave me like the one-sentence gospel, and, and it just hit me. And I've given my life to the Lord, and this is what I've done. This is the fruit of your labor. And the guy cried and said, I never knew. I did it for 40 years. I never knew. And you know, that's someone laboring. But he's not laboring in vain. Right? Because God will see that work and will cherish that work, regardless of what happened to that guy or other people. At the end of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Stand firm on the truth of Jesus' resurrection and the promise of yours. Of Jesus' glorified, transfigured body. And the promise of yours. Stand firm. That is, this is the heart of the gospel. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Or as N.T. Wright puts it, it will be complete and it will have its fulfillment in God's future. Whatever you do. And I think that Elsewhere, so in, in the Bible, it talks, Pete, uh, Paul sends a letter in, in Colossians, I think, and he says to slaves, to slaves, right? The lowest of the low, work for your masters as unto the Lord. And I think without, it's not too much of a stretch 
to say that if we work, whatever it is we work at, you know, I work in a government department, I'm a public servant, right? There are people who work in hospitals or people who work in schools or wherever else, right? Private companies, people who work in homes, right? It's not just about paid work. There are people who volunteer and do work. You know, there's, there's, there's all sorts of work that we do as humans, caring for people, doing, doing whatever. If we work as unto the Lord, I think we are sowing seeds that will be completed in God's future. I think if we can work whatever it is we're doing, and, w- and that work is an act of worship to him, then we can see in that new heaven and that new earth that, that, that I don't know how it happens. It's a mystery, right? But that there is something about our work that will be that will survive and be transformed. There's a there's a another scripture where Paul talks about those who labour and some who sow with, or, or work with silver and gold and others with hay and straw. And he is specifically talking about the work of the church. But again, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to go. Well, how do we work out our lives and work in whatever we're doing for the Lord? And if we sow with silver and gold, somehow that translates into what happens then. Because he says those who go, those those who sow or those who labour with gold and silver will receive their reward in the new heaven and the new earth. I'm not making this stuff up. It's all in here. And the, but I, I mean I don't know how that works, but boy, that's cool. I mean, there's, there's, there's this kind of, I, I think there might be this kind of Christian sort of cringe about, oh, I shouldn't be a Christian for the rewards. The Bible's full of it. <laughs> you were faithful with five miners, I'm going to give you five cities. What if it's not a joke? <laughs> right? what, what, if he, what if he actually means it? Oh, 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 okay, five cities. It's just, I mean, this, and, and I, like I say, I don't know what it looks like, but there are all these signposts in the Bible that give us a view Give us enough of a view and enough hope that this this is what we labor for. And boy, it's good. God is so good. He's got, there's, I've got this other little quote here, right? So, <clears throat> in this way, death and resurrection of the Messiah, Israel's God has indeed done what he'd always intended. If you look in the Jewish scriptures, it talks about the renewal of the earth and, and the overcoming of death and sin and all of this stuff though it hadn't looked like they thought it would. I think we still struggle with that, actually. If you just read this and take it, take what he's saying at, at, at face value and, and try and understand it for, when, for the people it was written to, boy, it's easy to get off track and, but, and, and think it's something else. But, man, it's good. And it's just not what we think it's going to look like. It's so much bigger. His, his plan has always been so much bigger than we could imagine. And I, I just, that, those kinds of things amaze me about God. It's like, hey, man, I like big thinking, but ah, oh boy, no one can think bigger than God. He's really got it going on. So, what I would like to do is let's actually spend a little bit of time. So if we could stand. And Marty, if you... So, you know, God's power, the, the power of that resurrection is available to us today, 
Right? This is what I mean about how we can be lightning rods for his kingdom. It's not just through acts of mercy or kindness. It's that we can seek that kingdom power today. I really um, loved last week when um, Marilyn and Marty prophesied over people. That was, a, that was a taste of that. And so we thought we might have another crack at it. Did you want to? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, uh, Stu? Can you or can you turn off the live stream, please? Thanks. Bye to all of you at home. <laughs> <laughs>